Welcome back. This is Larry Wilmore, back on the air. Man, it's been such a crazy week. And usually I spend the beginnings of these podcasts talking to you guys, you know, got my own rant. I don't even have time for a rant and stuff is so crazy. I'd rather just get right into my guests who are very interesting these days. May you live in interesting times, I think is an old saying. We certainly are. And I'm happy to have on the show Rick Wilson, political pundit, I think is fair Close title, enough. Rick. Yeah, because Rick could talk about anything, but this is area of the day of expertise, but he has a book now, Everything Trump Touches Dies, which is an amazing title. A Republican strategist gets real about the worst president ever. Welcome, Rick. To Thank Black you, Larry. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much for coming. And I apologize because I was telling Rick earlier, I hadn't had a chance to read his book, but guys, please, you know, when I recommend books to say, get it, this looks like, it looks like a fun read as well as an informative read, just because of your writing style. Well, uh, you know what? Uh, <laughs> people who are expecting an academic tome yes. and some ponderous no, sort of no, thing. No, no, no. The word, you get, I see the word shit being bandied around. You, you, yeah, there, there's, there's, the full, uh, yes. there's the full spectrum. <laughs> okay, so as a guy who's been around the political world a lot, I mean, do you consider yourself a, a conservative? Is that a fair yeah, these days, label? These and days, I, I think I'm much more of a conservative than a Republican. Because right. I don't think the, I get that. the Trump Republican Party is conservative. Right. I think they're radical. Yes. And, and dangerous and authoritarian and statist. Yeah. So I'm out of that. I'm out of that, like— uh, you got to stick with your your team jersey on yeah. every single point. It's kind of the way liberals are treated a bit in the Democratic Party. They're kind of there's a snidiness, I think, from progressives to what are called uh, moderates. You know, establishment, establishment, establishment liberals. liberals right. You know, which you know, whatever. You know, I I think there's room for all of these things. But I'm fascinated by what's happening in the Republican Party mm-hmm. right now because conservative ideology, conservative thought has always been so closely linked to the fight against what Democrats on the left were doing. Things like balanced budgets, you know, war on terror, you know, just conservative ideology was always pretty closely linked as much as it could be to policy. Although the worst time to get true conservative policies are Republicans have all the power. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and, and Larry, that's one of the things I write about in the book is, yeah. is my party on paper, we're like, oh, we're all about budget discipline right. and 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 fair taxation and 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 lowering the debt lowering the deficits well now we spend money like drunken sailors yeah we just did a tax bill and look i i believe in lower taxes to stimulate the economy mm-hmm. but we did a tax bill for two trillion dollars that benefited 150 hedge fund guys on yeah. wall street 85 percent of it went to corporate stock buybacks mm-hmm. not job creation or in the pockets of the middle class and so I look at that as crony capitalism, and I was told that picking winners and losers is a bad thing in government. You know, when Barack Obama tried to do it, you know, Republicans on my side went went crazy, mm-hmm. and now Donald Trump wants to pick winners and losers, and they want to they want to basically make uh, again 150 hedge fund guys the big tax lottery winners of all yeah. time. It's picking winners and winners. It seems mm-hmm. like okay. Here's what I want. Let's go from the beginning. How did we? How did the conservatives get in this position where? A rogue like Donald Trump, you know, this, um, you know, to me, it's like a movie about an alien bacteria or something that, <laughs> you know, that gets on the ship. Like, how did this alien bacteria get on this ship and right. grow into this this creature? This is what I you want know, to know. You know, a buddy of mine who was an Air Force. What, like in others, what happened to sure. your party to allow this to yeah, happen? A buddy of mine who was an Air right. Force pilot told me one time, he goes, every plane crash starts two or three days before. Mm-hmm. Something's going wrong before the plane crash happens. Mm-hmm. And in the Republican Party, we had 
a leadership failure mode that I that I in this book I trace it back to the 2008 cycle. Okay. And you don't you don't look at the war in Iraq as the start of it. Maybe? No, I, I I really don't because mm-hmm. I separate the the populist economic ideology that's underneath mm-hmm. this um, from the war on terror. There's mm-hmm. a there's a there's a a, a hot line I think. Mm-hmm. The moment Sarah Palin walked on that stage, it signaled to some of the some of these folks out in the Republican base that. We weren't going to be about principles. We weren't going to be about policies or philosophies. Yeah. We were going to be about owning the libs, and we were right. going to be about pissing off everybody that we hate, mm-hmm. and we were going to be about stomping our feet longer and louder. And at that same time, you saw the rise of social media, where mm-hmm. a lot of these uh, conservative um, or, or rather populist uh, groups started to form on social media, Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else where these people could talk amongst themselves and only amongst themselves. Mm -hmm. And you saw the dominance of Fox News as the only thing that Republicans were watching on television. All those things sort of ran together after 2008. You ended up with the Tea Party movement in 2010, which swept a whole bunch of populist-style Republicans into office with the caveat that they all said, oh, the Constitution is sacred to us. That's the fundamental underpinning of everything. If it's not in the Constitution, we don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. And the drift towards Trumpism was was slowly happening. And we were, uh, and I say this in the book, I'm quite candid about it. We built, guys like me, consultants, built a lot of tools to activate those Palin-type voters, those populist-type mm-hmm. voters. Unfortunately, we left the car unlocked and Donald Trump drove off with it. Mm-hmm. And how, how did that happen? Here's what I don't understand. I, I was always I was always a pretty big John McCain fan. Mm. Um, I actually wanted to vote for him in 2000 when he ran. I was kind of disenchanted with the Democratic Party at the time, sure. and uh, he didn't get the nomination. But I didn't. He's a what you would call an establishment Republican. Mm. How does he let Sarah in the door? You know, there's... Uh, because I was at that convention, mm-hmm. and I know exactly what you're talking about. Everybody forgot about John McCain. Sarah Sarah Payne was the true star of that convention. It, yeah. it, it, Part of it, Larry, is the rise of reality TV in our society. Mm-hmm. You know, at any given moment, there's about 700 reality TV shows in production or on the air, and they range from you know The Apprentice at the top and and you know Kardashians or whatever mm-hmm. to like guys who do fly fishing competitions. Do you think? It, let me ask you this: Do you think it was a little more than that? Here's here's what I it felt like to me. Mm-hmm. I felt like for the first time, it felt like the people that made up that room were able to feel like. Powerful victims. Yeah, that's a great phrase. I'm stealing that phrase. It's right? a great phrase. That's what it seemed like. Mm-hmm. For the first time, they could say, we've been hurt, too, and we, our victimhood needs a voice, and this right. voice is Sarah Palin. We don't care how smart she is. We don't care who's qualified. We just need a voice for our victimhood. Well, and you see that in, in a lot of people who support Trump today. Right. Evangelicals, it's the majority religious yes. group in this country, they act as if they are the most persecuted, put upon yes, that's what I mean. um, right. people in the world. Yes. They act like the culture is trying to crush them at every right. moment. This civil rights thing seemed to work out for <laughs> Let's use this persecution thing. And, and, and yeah, and Trumpism is a philosophy of 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 basically right. white suburban victimhood. It's a billionaire who's a victim. Right. It's crazy. It, right. It's white suburban victimhood. It's people it's crazy who went town. to college who are like, oh, poor pitiful me. My life is so much harder than everyone else's Rich. because the liberal media hates me. I mean, think about this. This is how my brain explodes. I mean, Republicans were the people who said, think of how good you have it in this country. That's what American exceptional, mm-hmm. exceptionalism was all about. The, 
that this group had it good, you know, and we were exporting that good to the world, yep. right? And, uh, and and suddenly there's a victim mentality in there. Well, and, and right? that's built into a lot of the thing that also grew inside the party. And, and I was one of the first Republican consultants back in 2008 mm-hmm. to say, this birther thing is total bullshit. It's crazy. And I said, stop it. Yeah. I had my researcher make literally three phone calls. It took her about five hours to call in Hawaii, get the birth record, and go, oh, yeah, he was born there, and there's a newspaper clipping, and it's done. I dismissed it. I was like, whoever's pushing this crap is crazy. Right, why do you need and that yet, birth? And right. yet, Donald Trump and Roger Stone, all these other people, they wired it into, into the party's culture yeah. to believe this conspiracy crap. George Soros runs everything from a secret volcano lair. Right. All this crazy right, shit. Right. And so now we've got online, you know, QAnon, all these things, and that— and Donald Trump is promoting that. Mm-hmm. He's turned the party into a bunch of paranoids and a bunch of, of conspiracy it's a conspiracy nuts. theory party. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, it, 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 it went from the party of Lincoln and Reagan and George H.W. Bush to the party of crazy guys with a GED who are 55 years old in their <laughs> basement looking at conspiracy boards on, on Reddit. <laughs> so, uh, so the next phase is – Trump as candidate, because when something mm-hmm. I believe when something. Yeah, it's one thing to have people yelling at the sides like normally we had something called a fringe candidate. Sure. That used to be a thing. You know, yeah, Ralph Nader Ralph Nader was considered mm-hmm. a fringe candidate. We, and we knew a fringe candidate could only get so far in right. any type of election. Right. Except for maybe some local elections. Like right? Ross Perot did. As a fringe, fringe guy, did pretty well pretty though right. for a fringe guy. But yeah. Right, right, exactly. He he had a he he was really funny, but once he brought out uh, what's his name, uh, oh, Stockdale. Yes, yeah, Stockdale. <laughs> <laughs> Why like am I he here? Had Stockholm syndrome, <laughs> right. or something, which was very funny. But you're right, Ross Perot, Pat Buchanan got a lot of votes, but he really seemed like he was kind uh, of yeah. fringe. Mm. But yeah, Ralph Nader is still blamed for apparently losing the election for Gore as a French oh, candidate. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can, I make that case any day. Trump is clearly a French candidate mm-hmm. in 2015. I remember covering it. But when do you think is the moment he turns from French candidate to the people's choice? Well, there, there are two big things to remember. First off, Americans voted for the character they saw on The Apprentice. Mm-hmm. And the character they saw of Trump is this 40-year creation of PR machine in New York, okay? Mm-hmm. That character is decisive, smart, good negotiator, international businessman, successful, billionaire, all those things. All of it's bullshit. Mm-hmm. But Trump also was allowed by every single television network to darken the sky. Mm-hmm. Ten to one ratio against uh, of Trump to other candidates. Mm-hmm. When it was Hillary versus Trump, it was basically 75-25 or, or, or 70-30 coverage of Trump versus Hillary. And any coverage is good coverage when you're talking about a game of attention. Mm-hmm. And so you ended up with— So you're saying that Trump, people liked him because they had a view of him as competent? They thought, look, the guy you saw in mm-hmm. The Apprentice is not the Donald Trump we see in the White House right now. Right. The guy in The Apprentice who showed up for 14 years on people's television sets in a hugely well-rated show mm-hmm. came in and said, you're fired. I'm this and that. I understand how to judge people and products and strategies and negotiate big deals. And he built this image over and over again. And we would sit in focus groups in 2015 and 16 and talk to voters. And they would say, but Mr. Trump knows how to work with people. Mr. Trump knows how to negotiate. Mm-hmm. Mr. Trump won't go to you know, uh, won't, won't put up with anything who's anyone who's incompetent or wrong. Or, right. Well, it was, of course, a fantasy. Right. That was the myth he propagated. But 
you know, Ross Perot had that as well. You know, remember when he clearly said uh, about a Bill Clinton, you know, it's one thing running a 7-Eleven, but it's not like the same as running a Walmart. You know, that was his argument, which <laughs> got not, a big laugh right. and everything. <laughs> now, now, hold on now. Now, hold on. That's, that's my Ross Perot. Can, can I show my charts? <laughs> yeah. Now, hold on. Hold on. Hold on now. Um, I think, I believe the moment was when he called Rosie O'Donnell a pig and pulled Megyn Kelly down there, too. Um, um, to me, because yeah. if I go with what you're saying, if they're voting incompetence, I don't get how, I don't get the emotions that. They also loved the spectacle. Yes. They loved, that's exactly, they loved that's what the I'm talking show. About. They loved, the, they loved the, the transgressive nature of him basically saying, you know, Megyn Kelly has blood shooting out of her wherever. Right. And, and a lot of these people, their lives are built around television. And reality television is a is the, is a huge format that people love in this country. Right. And so he played that character. He played that role of I'm going to be the guy who's got a, he's an extended middle finger yes. to the establishment, to our our to the to the people in society who want the, the world to be more civilized and all right. that. They liked that. Okay, so Trump is winning by incivility, mm-hmm. uncivility. You, like your book says, everything Trump touches dies. Right. And he's he's killing like <laughs> killing off the people running around him and mm-hmm. everything, you know. But this quality of of dragging things down into the gutter and all that kind of stuff, it becomes a likable thing for people. You know, it's it's like a Gresham's like, law. They're not ignoring it. They actually oh, yeah. love it. It's like a Gresham's law of right. politics. You know, bad money drives out good. Well, bad people drive out good very frequently, and most people get exhausted by Trump. Right. They don't want to keep up the fight. They, they, they don't have the energy, the mental energy to keep saying, no, you're wrong. No, this is wrong. This mm-hmm. is not who we should be as a people, as a country, as a party. And and I listen, I can tell you, I've been doing this for two and a half years. When I started in 2015 telling people, right. this guy is an asshole. Do not vote for him. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I took a lot of slings and arrows on it. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, I thought it was worth the fight. But he is he is – he will he will grind down anybody in front of him yeah. and make it into this show that his base loves and that and look the Republican Party has been shrinking under Trump pretty swiftly mm-hmm. like there are no more college educated Republican women voters they're like a unicorn now mm. they're gone they're mm-hmm. independents now are, or reg- Democrats. are the number of registered Republicans lower now um, we don't really have a lot of hard data on that but mm-hmm. the rate of Democratic voter registration. And non-party affiliated voter registration is up dramatically. Okay, um, and, and a lot of those non-party affiliated or independent voters are moving from R to R to from Republican to independent or, mm-hmm. or non-party. Right, they don't even want to be affiliated with it. Right. Um, you talk about a term Vichy Republicans uh, mm-hmm. evoking, uh, you know, France and World War II. Yep. What do you mean by that? Why do you use that term? It's a great term, by the way. These were people yeah. who absolutely knew better. Mm-hmm. They understood who Donald Trump was mm-hmm. or, or would be. They understood mm. that he could kill the party. But they made this peace with themselves to say, well, you know, he's going to take over no matter what. He's mm-hmm. going to win this no matter what. And if we don't cooperate, we'll be thrown to the side and lose all of our positions, our right. perks, our jobs. Um, and and maybe we can shift him and make, you know, and I know we're not supposed to make Hitler comparisons because – you know the Godwin's law. It's thing. not fair to Hitler. It's I not get fair that. to Hitler. And you know, and, and we all know that Hitler had normal sized hands. So, uh, oh, God. Oh, yeah, man. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> the, but the problem, the problem with these guys was 
no matter how bad they knew it could be, they could make a rationalization for it. Well, we'll get something out of it. We'll Mm -hmm. get, you know, and Reince Priebus was the king of these guys. Yeah, he was. You know, he went from being the party chairman, and he knew he uh, he privately was just in a frenzy for months. How do we stop him? How do we get rid of him? What are right. we going to do? And they would do any. It's it's like it's like a guy who wants to lose weight will do anything except diet or exercise. Yeah. <laughs> so these guys would do anything except actually stop him. Right. And how could they have stopped him? Well, as I outlined, uh, the, the money guys. Okay, the money. The guys. money guys could have stopped him. How could the money? And who are the money guys? Who do you mean by that? Okay. You mean Koch brothers? Those type of people? I mean, the, I mean, folks like the Koch brothers. Okay. I mean, the the Wall Street donors, the major money. There's a lot of super PAC money out there, mm-hmm. and they were all divided up. And okay, here's what I want to know. Okay, yeah, because this, this is good. Because now we can get a forensics of this too. Yeah. Because there had to be a choke off time when it could have happened, and then there's a too late time I where say, it really doesn't matter. Yeah, right? I say in the book. Okay. You know, I wrote a memo in August of fifteen to a bunch wow. of major donors. Yeah. And I'm a super PAC guy. I've done right. a lot of work with super PACs. And I work with these major donors all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and they say, I want to spend $5 million to do the following thing in the following three states. And I help them spend their money. Mm-hmm. I make the ads for them and, you know, think up the messaging and do the polling and all that. So I wrote this memo to a bunch of these donors and it said, you can spend $10 million right now to take out Trump. Mm-hmm. Or you can spend $100 million if you do it in the spring after he's eliminated half the field. Or you can spend billions of dollars later trying to save the, what was the Republican Party and bring it back from death after he kills hmm. it. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, do you, do you start taking Lipitor when you get the cholesterol number at the first part? Or do you wait till the massive heart attack that needs a four-banger, you know, quad bypass? Yeah. So they made that decision. That what? made my chest hurt when you said right? that. Right? Yeah, no kidding. Me too, brother. <laughs> <laughs> lifetime of barbecue. I had a steak last night. So did I. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, all of this, all of this. Um, so, okay, so what's yeah. the reaction out there to that? Is it like, oh, pff, he's not going to last. Oh, he'll be gone by October. Oh. Well, the reaction with, with the establishment guys is now, what happens if Nancy Pelosi is speaker again? We're going to have to give money to her. We're going to have to give money to him. They're feeling like divided Washington is the worst thing for lobbyists, obviously. They love it when it's all Democrats or all Republicans, you know, in one house or the other. Mm -hmm. They they, they love a unified – Democratic House and Senate, they love it. Republican House and Senate, they love it. They don't care which side as long as – These guys are complete – and they're part of the Vichy complex. Mm -hmm. You know, these guys who – absolutely in 2015 and early 16 were convinced Hillary would be the president Mm – we're perfectly comfortable with her being president. Yeah, they thought, I believe that. She's transactional. Right. She's smart. That's she knows true. the system. Yeah. And when it looked like things were going to go crazy in the fall of mm-hmm. 16, they were out getting their MAGA hats made, custom-made <laughs> MAGA hats. <sighs> so, it's, yeah, it's, it is as deeply cynical as you might imagine. Yeah, and I, I love when you say uh, running with the devil, you know, uh, what to expect when you're working for Trump. But how does that express itself the most when you're running with the devil. That chapter is about evangelicals. Mm -hmm. And I'm not an evangelical. Mm -hmm. But I had candidates for years and years, and we had this conflicting set of desires in the GOP. One, we wanted to win more seats in big cities Mm -hmm. and blue states. Mm -hmm. And two, the evangelicals wanted everybody to be 100% against gay marriage and 100% uh, anti-abortion and 100% um, you know, the Bible belongs in every classroom. Mm. Well, those things were were a conflict. So when I worked to elect Rudy Giuliani as mayor of New York City, mm-hmm. 
he was pro-choice. And I had evangelical friends who were losing their damn he minds. He was pro-multiple marriage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even start me on that one. I have stories. Woo! Um, and when I elected, you know, pro-choice people in Washington State or Vermont mm-hmm. or Florida, in places where Republicans on paper shouldn't be able to win, they were angry. They were like, no, we can't. It's got to be pure. You have to be perfect. These guys have to be morally perfect. And they would they would even like blow up candidates who'd been divorced mm-hmm. because they thought that they represented some sort of corruption and 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 this this diminution of their moral values and principles. Well, now they've got a guy who literally screws hookers. Yeah, I know. He's cheated on every wife. He pays off strippers and hookers and escorts and God knows what else. And if you don't think Donald Trump's paid for abortions, I got another, I got a bridge to sell you. And, and quoting, uh, two Corinthians. <laughs> Deuce Corinthians. Deuce, yeah, Deuce you know. Corinthians. Uh, it, no, uh, Donald <laughs> Trump is, like I said, I'm not an evangelical, but, um, I, I, I had the benefit of a classical education. So I, I, I wonder a lot of the time at how these guys keep doing it. Right. Is it part of this Part of the Republican—I blame some of us on the Republican Party's uh, coalition with evangelicals in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like, I I can't remember any um, ideology. Like, even if you go back to, to Buckley, you know, who was the face of the conservative movement mm-hmm. coming out of the 50s, of course. Yeah. I, I never remember him talking about Jesus. You know, or the or no, the connection the, with Jesus the, and conservatism. Right, the rise and somehow of, the conservatism rise of, and mm-hmm. Jesus. Were linked, and to me, that's a problem. The rise of right. the Protestant evangelical movement in the South. Yeah, and there's a great book by Merle and Earl Black, uh, the two Southern historians, called "The Rise of the Southern Republican," mm-hmm. and it really talks about, you know, the, yeah, the Southern strategy was a thing, mm-hmm. but the bigger factor in Republicans taking over the South and evangelicals being powerful in the party was in the late '70s and early '80s. They came on as a force, right. and it used to be. You had two big wings. The, the moral Republican. majority. Right. You had two mm-hmm. big wings in the old days. Mm-hmm. Foreign policy hawks and economic hawks. Right. Then you suddenly got this tripod where foreign policy, econo- economic policy, and the and the and the evangelicals. And there was always a tension between them. And you know, I worked for George H.W. Bush mm-hmm. in 1988, my first big campaign. And he always kind of kept them. On the reservation, but not. He was kind of a secular Republican, if you will. Largely. Mm-hmm. And and frankly. And so was Reagan, and, by and the way. Frankly, Reagan was too. Right. And frankly, so was W. Yeah. They were not. Well, W, I w a little so. more, a little more. I mean, he said his favorite philosopher was Jesus. His favorite book is the Bible. I, I mean, he went down that hole. But <laughs> I, but he didn't He didn't do a lot of governance yeah. that was based on that stuff. And mm. here was the, the conflict. And for a person like me who. As an actual conservative, I honor the Constitution. Mm-hmm. And I can't find in the Constitution the part where it says the government of the United States will forbid the marriage of two adult, competent gay people. Mm-hmm. I can't find that. And so maybe that makes me some sort of libertarian outlier or something like that. And I can't find a part in the in the Constitution that says gay people shouldn't be able to adopt kids. I can't find that. And I and and yet. The evangelicals who latched onto Trump did so because they thought he was going to deliver that stuff for them. Yeah, but that goes back to people believing that the country is a country uh, built 
not just by sweat or whatever, but by providence, and that, that God has a hand in that building, that God is a Christian God. And so the Constitution is not just based on the Magna Carta, but it's based on an actual conversation with, with God, or at least a blessing from God. And that blessing is in the Constitution. I'm just, I'm just, this is just uh, my I, observation. No, I, I am aware of this. And that, and I'm that aware of this strain of, yeah. that the United States, if it loses its connection to the providential God that bestowed its grace upon this land, you know, by this horrible thing called gay marriage right. and these things, then you will lose what the soul of the United States is. Is that does that sound I, right? I am aware of that right. strain of thought in yes. the evangelical side that's, of this. That's in a lot of the soil of this country of people of how there, they there view are a lot of people like, who believe that it's how they viewed uh, race relations and that kind of stuff too, interracial. Well, and and anyway. that's one of the look the 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 old problem of you know this operating system we have in mm -hmm. the country under the Constitution. It was not a perfect operating system to start, and it right. had a lot of flaws and bugs in it. And I, I don't mean to diminish the the, the problem of yeah, slavery. Yeah, it's still but, it, it's an amazing document. But we have the we documents have, that started. We have, history. as a country, moved that arc, mm -hmm. the proverbial arc of history, largely in the right direction, slowly, right. painfully, stupidly, steps forward, steps back. But I happen to believe, and I think a lot of of people who are more knowledgeable of history in the Constitution than I will ever be, mm -hmm. understand that it was built for around religious liberty beyond just right. Christianity. And Protestant evangelical Christianity as it is today is not would be unrecognizable to our founders. Right. But the, I always felt there, and I'm not an yeah. expert too, but I feel there are two things that were at work. This is great. We're having, we're having a conversation about something neither one of us are right. experts in. But I believe that, yes, the Constitution provided this religious liberty idea that was with everybody, but I believe that the Constitution itself, people felt, was guided by the providence of God. You know? Uh, yeah. I, I, and those are two separate governing yeah. ideas. So one is like the free expression of religion, and the other is this country itself is blessed by God. Right. But in you, God we trust. But you will find a lot of Trump mm -hmm. voters believe he is a manifestation of God's will yes, on no, earth. Yes, no, you are absolutely, which, you are which, absolutely right, Rick. Which, which yes. by the way, yes. that's what people <laughs> in Iran think about the Ayatollah. Yes. Well, and we they and, and, and literally and, believe that. Yeah, right? they literally believe yes, that. And, right. and evangelicals think that is like the doorway to Satan. And right. it the idolatry of yes. Trump among evangelicals is very covering that chapter. And this idolatry, well, I don't know if I can't say it concerns me, but I just find so much of this fascinating because the talk about evangelicals and the things they excuse in the name of Trumpism, because I don't know what they want, because is it tax cuts? Is that what evangelicals care about the most? And they're happy they got that, so they excuse it? Like, what is your deal, I, I think the dirty little secret right. underneath it all is, yeah, they would or like— Or is it the hatred of the left? They would—that's you're, you're, where I'm headed. Right. They would like Donald Trump to—and not all evangelicals, but, a, but a, enough of them would like Donald Trump to impose their social value set, no mm -hmm. gay marriage, no gay adoption, no abortion. They would like to impose that okay. on— America. Now, I he's, don't think he's the imperfect guard. Right. He right. He's he's he, he's right. a he's a broken avatar, but he's our avatar. Got it. Um, I think though, I, I think though that Trump is has played them like he plays everybody else. Okay. This guy's not pro life. <laughs> this guy. I guarantee you. Someday we're going to Trump is the yeah, only thing. Someday we're going to see the you know, and if people think Stormy Daniels and Kara McDougal are the only. Uh, only girls in the stack, they're out of their damn minds. Yeah. If they think Trump hasn't 
paid for NDAs for a dozen or more of these women and abortions and everything else, they're out of their mind. Yeah. And they'll forgive anything, though, because Trump reinforces their sense of inferiority. And they're, you know, the powerful feeling inferior is one of these slippery slope problems in nationalism all mm -hmm. the time. Right. You know, it's the Germans, it's the Germans saying that the that the tiny minority of Jews in their country are really the ones who are totally privileged. Mm -hmm. It's it's it, it it's it, it iterates over time in authoritarian situations where where you know somebody uses inflammatory rhetoric, language, and posturing to position things at, for political gain, and then shit gets loose and goes downhill very quickly and turns yeah, they very, started very the bad. fire, but someone yeah. else is fanning the flames. Or letting the fire go. Okay, so let me ask you this. As a conservative who I would assume would love to be a part of the Republican Party in a in a good way, I'm sure. You know, how do you deal with having this um, you know, this horrible person? But do you how do you feel about the policies that are going down? Are do you are you happy that those policies are being passed? Or because you're so against this guy? Are you conflicted about these policies, or what is your well, opinion? Like, where do you where so do here, you fall in that area? Here's uh, most of Trump's mm -hmm. policy changes have been on environmental questions. Mm -hmm. Now, I have I have two biases here. I'm from that much older school of of Teddy Roosevelt style mm -hmm. uh, conservatism. Uh, conservatism where it was and, actual and, conservatism, of right? Who who I who, who I believe that part of our our uh, our our mission as stakeholders in this country is to preserve mm -hmm. things. And that in that environmental spectrum, a lot of what they've done is basically a crony capitalist payoff mm -hmm. to the coal industry. Yeah, he just uh, about seventy percent of the regulatory rollbacks that have happened so far have been about coal. He just did the one the other day, yeah. right? Yeah. And that is because the coal guys mm -hmm. stroked some gigantic ass checks for him mm -hmm. right after he got elected. Million dollars here for the inauguration, and oh my gosh, there's a checklist from this coal industry guy. And it's they're going down at one thing at a time. They're tick 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 tick. And I don't like crony capitalism in a, in general. I don't like somebody trying to save an industry that technology and time have passed by. That also is demonstrably they they were regulated because they do damage beyond the economic benefit they give to society in any way. Mm -hmm. And so I have a lot of problems with some of those regulations. Look, is the government overregulated? Absolutely. On a case-by-case -case basis, you look at these things. Are there some things in there that I probably like? Maybe. But what I'm seeing um, are things that are just this blanket approach mm -hmm. that says business good, nothing else uh, rivals their needs. And I'm also seeing that a lot of it is, is transactional. Mm -hmm. Industries that have written checks to the Trump inauguration or the Make America Great Again pack um, or the Trump campaign, they seem to do really well on the regulatory fix front. Um and again, you know, when Barack Obama, quote unquote, picked winners and losers, Republicans lost their shit. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these regulations are trying to pick winners and losers and mostly for coal. And, you know, Barack Obama. And, I mean, Trump is explicit about it. I mean, yeah, the way course. he went after Harley Davidson, for Christ's yeah. sakes. Listen, and, and he, yeah. Oh, and, 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 <laughs> I mean, that was and, insane. Well, look, if you want to offset every, it, let's just say Trump, let's just say these regulations changes Let's say, just hypothesize that maybe do some economic benefit. The trade war he's about to, to get us into, that he's gotten us into, is going to wreck this economy. Trade wars always end badly, mm -hmm. and they are unwinnable. 
He is a he is a moron when it comes to this particular issue. Um, so I don't really have a lot of things coming out of the Trump administration that I think have been meritorious. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think there are a few people who have tried to do some. Look, I think Rex Tillerson tried to like take over the State Department mm-hmm. toward the end and try to like establish an independent sort of process there. He failed. I think Jim Mattis at Defense has been more successful about keeping his power intact and not letting Trump, uh, you know, run the DOD like it's his private army or his private plaything. But there are also a lot of things that— But also, it's not the job of these people to correct the president and to— No, it's not. And to keep the president in a little cage so he doesn't ruin the world. Well, I mean, look— if, I mean, thank God so Larry, if they're doing that. So Larry, I mean, God bless you, Rex Tillerson, if that's what you're a, doing. In a little, but that ain't that ain't your job, right. you know? <laughs> in a little cul-de-sac of my political life, right. in 1988, I was the field director for Florida for George H.W. Mm-hmm. Bush. I went to right. Washington. I worked for Dick Cheney when he was Secretary of Defense in the mm-hmm. Pentagon. So I got a big old education on the defense world, mm-hmm. and I learned about everything. If you knew how easy it is to start a nuclear war, if you're the president, you would never sleep again. Yeah. Because Donald Trump, if he decides tomorrow, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and and nuke Belgium, Jim Mattis doesn't get a phone call. Mm-hmm. Mike Pence doesn't get a phone call. Mike Pompeo doesn't get a phone call. John Bolton doesn't get a phone call. The president could say that right now, and missiles will be on the way in seven or eight minutes. And it's probably because he doesn't like Heineken. Right. <laughs> it, it, it literally. And and, and I, I I worry about that a lot. Uh-huh. And I just know how little friction there is in that system. And he is a guy who likes to play with, with, with the toys of executive power. Mm-hmm. So I worry a lot about, you know, that there aren't many checks and balances on this guy. Yeah, that there aren't any grownups left around the table. He's really trashing the office itself. Um, and look— you can count. You can look at other presidents. How that line has always been pushed a little bit, especially with executive power. Sure. Certainly, Obama pushed it further yeah. than almost anyone. But Trump just blasted right open. Oh and, yeah. Oh yeah. In a way, and in part two of your book, you talk about victims of the curse. Mm-hmm. You know, which you know, arguably, I mean, those coal miners you're talking about are unwitting. Yeah. I don't even know if unwitting is a fair word, but they're certainly victims of it. But. Uh, well, you talk about what we lost with Trump. Tell me about that chapter. You know, I, I looked at every president in the last 75 years. Mm-hmm. And there were great political and ideological differences between them. Mm-hmm. But every single one of them walked into the Oval Office and was awed. Mm-hmm. They walked into that room and they said, good God, I now represent the 300 plus million Americans or whatever the number was when they were president. Yeah. And I have, an, I have a mighty weight upon my shoulders. It's what tempered Eisenhower's take on, on military intervention. Correct. Yeah. And it's what, it's what every American president, they took on this mantle. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. You go back and it was wired into the system by George Washington himself. Right. Where he said one of the things the presidency must have is dignity. Mm-hmm. It must have you, you, the president must be a man of unquestioned dignity. He must be somebody with probity and, and, and a strength of character. Ha! And right, and every president, and look, they vary. They have great days and they have bad sure. days. And you know, you had moments where, where, you know, Eisenhower facing the worst moments of the Cold War, mm-hmm. JFK on the brink of nuclear war with Keep Russia, you like Johnson with Vietnam, Nixon with with Vietnam, an economic crisis that you know was was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, and sometimes these guys have crises of their own making. Right. 
But at each president, they had moments where they rose to the to the to the stature of the office. They rose up and did something where you could go, I don't care about the politics, I don't care about the partisanship. That is a moment. That is a moment befitting a president. Mm-hmm. Reagan in front of the Berlin Wall. Mm-hmm. George Bush on the fire truck. You know, argue about the war all day. We needed that moment as a country. Obama, Osama bin Laden. O- Obama, mm-hmm. right. Uh, Walking out, walking out in the <laughs> East Room or in mm-hmm. the East Corridor and just matter-of-factly putting a bookend mm-hmm. on a traumatic 11-year period at right. that point. Um, and all these things, in all these men, there are moments where they do something outside themselves, where, mm-hmm. where they show you they are the avatar of this country, mm-hmm. not – themselves, not their ego, not their not their petty grudges and 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 bitches and vices, that they're something bigger. Mm-hmm. And Donald Trump steadfastly grinds away at every one of these principles I talk about and what we lost. Yeah. He is he is a president who lies about everything. It's amazing. He is a president who who does not look outside of his own needs ever. The, the, he's not a servant of the people. You know that great George H. W. Bush moment, and I remember it when I was a, I was a, I was you know a young appointee. I was twenty three years old or whatever I was, mm-hmm. and he was talking to all of us. We'd been sworn in, and he's talking to all of us, and he's like, "You are all servants of the American people. You will you will behave that way every day. You will honor them. You are not here as their rulers. You are not here as their masters. You are here as their servants. As am I." Mm-hmm. And all of us were like. You know, you, you have a moment. This is a guy whose philosophy is get what you can while you can. Mm-hmm. Eat everything at the table. Um, talk only to the people who like you. Yeah. You know, presidents, and again, we go all the way back to Washington and the founders. They understood this country was a collection of 13 unbelievably different and diverse states. We're even more different and diverse now as a country. Mm. Donald Trump doesn't care about people who are not his cheerleaders. Right. That's so true. Even in you know, bring up the tax policy, the way that they uh, <laughs> even process that mm-hmm. was to punish certain areas and reward yep. others. Right. Yeah, it was so We're going to take away the, 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 the oh, so tax deductions. Oh, of course it was. All out of cynicism. Yeah. It was just, yeah. it, was, it, was, it, was, it was a fuck you to Americans mm-hmm. who don't happen to live, you know, in, in deep red areas. Yes. But it is a symptom of that. Even the people... When you look at the indictments that are happening, that's not a crazy accident or a deep state issue. No. That's the character of the people you've chosen to surround yourself you know, with. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the Omarosa right. effect, I guess you could say. <laughs> you know, the, mm. uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson once said that an institution is the lengthened shadow of a man. Mm-hmm. He's talking about Lincoln and about the people Lincoln assembled around him. And it was that that famous team of rivals. Mm-hmm. Well, this is a, this institution is the lengthened shadow of Donald Trump. That's why you get Omarosa, Scaramucci, you know Michael Cohen, Paul Manafort, Roger Stone. This grab bag of kooks and edge cases and criminals and Russians. Mm-hmm. And of course, this reflects perfectly on Trump. These guys are just these. these I wouldn't trust these guys to, to manage a Waffle House, much mm-hmm. less you know a, a branch of an agency of government. Okay, let me ask you this: You do a chapter on the media. The- <sighs> I'm very frustrated with the media. I'll say the news media. Right. Um, especially the cable news media. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's this adversarial relationship with Trump that is 
it feels like it's being played out in some ways for entertainment purposes. And then there's the the state uh, rooting for Trump, which is played out for recruiting purposes, <laughs> it right. seems like, you know, or, um, or Kool-Aid purposes. And it's so frustrating to me, you know, and I feel like it fuels what he's doing. Yeah, it it's, a, it's, a, it's a hard trap. Yeah, it um, is. Well, and, I, and there are yeah. two big parts of it, Larry. The first part of it is every day the guy throws more. It's like a monkey throwing yeah. shit out of his cage at the zoo. Yes. You know, and every day people are like, oh, my God, there's shit <laughs> flying at us. What do we do? Right. And so – I can't they, believe that monkey would do right. that. Why would he do Guys, that again today? It's and there's shit in front of him. <laughs> right. What do you think he's going to do? Um, what would you do with that shit? <laughs> We've gone from evangelical Christianity to monkey shit. Yes. <laughs> but uh, you know, part of it is he throws so much distraction out there every day, and they feel the need to cover all the tweets. They feel the need to cover right. all of the craziness, and they feel the need to go wall-to-wall live TV on every stupid rally. Yes. And they don't have to. They could choose a different way. Mm-hmm. And there have been a couple moments. And the highest heck, highest rated show, if not second highest rated show, consistently is Hannity. Uh, That's craziness. Well, look, Fox reaches 90 million households. But still. And what it is every <laughs> night is a guy with a head like a ham yelling at the TV. And, and it's not even good entertainment. But, but, yeah. they, but he's feeding – that cultural need among Trump supporters. But they hate you guys. Oh God, yes. Yeah. Oh God, yes. They they look, I'm a I'm a vicious rhino, shill, cuck, libtard, whatever. Yeah, I have been called every name in the book. Mm-hmm. But they hate anyone who does anything analytical. They hate expertise. Mm-hmm. They hate the they hate the idea that somebody is gonna say, wait a second, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is 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 stupid. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're doing is destructive. They they don't want to be told. They they're like children. You know, you're not you're supposed to run around with a hot glue gun, and they want to run around with a hot glue gun. So they're gonna. Um, but do you think there will be an actual um, rhino resistance? You know, that's any organized thing, or do you think you know people say, hey, you know, there are a lot of people that I talked to, including a lot of guys who stand behind him wearing the MAGA hat mm-hmm. in Congress. Let's put it this way. In the House, there are 40 or maybe 50 guys who are actual Trumpers. Okay, they're, they're, they're actual Donald Trump. In-house representatives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actual fanatic. There's only about seven or eight in the Senate. Actual fanatic Trump believers. True believers in Trump. There's a big group that's just scared to death of the guy. Mm-hmm. A lot of those people hate him. Of becoming targets. Or right. They don't want to be targets. Out. They don't want the crazy people to come out of the woodwork. They don't mm-hmm. want to get death threats. They don't want to get their kids threatened in school. They don't want to get, you know, dead animals sent to their offices. Because Trump has let loose with some – he's let these people loose off the chain. And they, they do some crazy shit. So mm-hmm. – and there's a few that are just opportunists. They're trying to get what they can out of mm-hmm. the whole situation. Um, but I think that that – you know, there are a lot of people who can't find a way out. They're mentally blocked. They're terrified. Mm-hmm. They feel like they'll lose their, their seats if they resist and they do anything against him. And I talk to a lot of them. I talk to, a, including guys who weren't my clients that I, I didn't know before at all. Hey, it's Congressman so-and-so. Mm-hmm. You got a minute to talk? And so I become like this confessor to a lot of these guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, I fucking hate this guy. I had to stand behind him today at the speech. I had to sit around the cabinet room and listen to him say stupid things about trade and blah, blah, blah. 
I'm like, okay, well, you can stand up on your own two feet like a man. You can get up and, and punch back. And then it's like, no, I can't. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. So I think if we take a big knock in the fall elections, which I think we're going to take a pretty big knock, um, and I think it's going to be somewhere around the a 2006 style, 35 to 40 seats, not a not a Richard Nixon level time where we lost 49 seats in the House and eight seats in the Senate. But I think we're going to take a pretty hard knock. We're going to lose a lot of seats. And there are people that are going to have to answer for that um, because they told their candidates, embrace the full Trump. Go hard Trump all the time, every day. Well, a lot of these people are going to lose. They're in purple states and purple districts. You know, Florida is a 50-50 state. We've got guys running down there for governor. This guy running for governor, Ron DeSantis, is a 1,000% Trumper. He made an ad showing himself reading a Trump book to his kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, and if if he's the nominee, he rises and falls with Trump's fortunes. So it's a difficult spot for them to be in. But, you know, I think I think pain is the real teacher here. And they're going to feel some pain in the fall. Do we get more Rick Wilson's Never Trumpers? Uh, the I call the island of misfit toys right now. <laughs> yep. Are we going to see more of that or less of that? Because regardless of what happens in the in the midterm, that usually follows historical patterns. Usually, you know, it, yeah. it's just, you know, it's kind of the whims of how elections go. But the real election, as we know, is 2020. The real election is 2020. Right. And I, I think you're going to see. And what's the momentum taking us to that? You know? That there are a lot of external questions, Larry. Before mm-hmm. that, where does the Russia probe go? Mm-hmm. Does Trump still appear to be sane? Um, that that question was answered a long time ago. <laughs> Why is this a question? You know, I, 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 there are days where you know, like last night, he tweets all caps at <laughs> one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, yeah, that seems perfectly normal. Mm, that's not an old man sitting stark naked. He's in a thirteen-year-old teenage girl. Not to uh, no, know. it's true. Uh, yeah, God love thirteen-year-old teenage yes, girls. I, ha- I, I had, I had one. one. I yes. had one, and she grew up into a beautiful young lady. Right, but. Um, uh, the, the, the craziness of this guy, I, I do think there are a lot of people who are exhausted by the Trump show. And a lot of those people were Republican women where they don't like the nastiness. They don't like the, the shittiness. They don't like seeing kids put in cages. Um, and so a lot of what happens in 2020 depends on two big factors. Does Trump appear even vaguely sane or controlled or, under, or in any direction going? Not going to matter. Second is the economy. Mm-hmm. The economy has been living off that gigantic bubble of stimulus and quantitative easing that we started after the 2008 Thanks, Obama. crisis. Thanks, Obama. Mm-hmm. And and while I I didn't ever say, well, during Obama, I never said, wow, he really did this economy. It was the QE that helped save the economy. It was That was the biggest tool in the toolbox. So he used it. God bless. But we're at the end of that. Mm-hmm. Fed's done. They're tightening rates now. They're not, they're not giving away free money anymore. So you combine that with a trade war. If we go into 2020 in a recession, which, you know, by every economic measure, we're due for one, mm-hmm. the sugar high from this tax bill is going to wear off soon. I think it's already worn off for a lot of Americans who didn't suddenly see a $10,000 a year tax break. They mm-hmm. saw a $1,000 a year tax break. Mm-hmm. And that's great. You know what? God bless. But if anything goes wrong in the economy, his uh, his fortunes are are different. And look, the biggest factor in 2020 is do the Democrats get their shit together? Mm-hmm. And do they actually do something right for once when it comes to electing uh, in the primary somebody who can win? And they're going to fight all their usual craziness. 
and they're going to, you know, fight between Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren and, 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 you know, God knows who else when they should be looking for a candidate who's great on TV. They should be looking for somebody who's quick on his feet, entertaining, smart, fast. I don't know who that is, by the way, but. Mm. It's hard to tell at this stage what is the thing, because I feel like we always guess wrong because we're using it based on information from before. Right. And it's hard to be a visionary in this process because no one would have predicted if you're saying, well, what do you need for 2016? I think you need a candidate who trashes people all the time, right. who is a complete narcissistic sociopath. Right. You know, uh, who, I think that's the winning who rage, candidate. You're who ra- right, Larry. That's a guy, right. a guy yes. who rage tweets in the shitter yes. every morning. I mean, yeah. You're right. That sounds perfect. <laughs> I think it's hard to prognosticate as to what is needed, you know. You know, you never but, step in the same river twice in politics. Right. But, uh, but but to me, I think it's, and I've said it's the economy, you know. I mean, Democrats said it's going to be stupid, you know, years ago. Yep. And I think for the most part, that's true. But there is a culture war going on here. Sure. And it is a war. And part of, I think, what keeps Trump not just in office but in, popular with the base is the feeling that the left is destroying their country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. How does, and, you know, any side can argue the other side is destroying the country. You can, and that, but that's, a, that's such a deep predicate yes. of, of the Fox audience, and the talk radio audience, right. is that everything that's wrong isn't about you. It's mm-hmm. about the external other. Right. It's about George Soros. It's about, it's about affirmative action. It's about... Hispanics, immigrants. It's about somebody else from outside. Okay, so what does that mean to you, Rick? Um, Because that, to me, goes back to some of the stuff I was saying before. And it goes back to ownership of people, Mm -hmm. of who who do you think this country belongs to and the fact that something's going away. That's what I meant by that that victimizing thing. I I deeply believe that this country is a propositional nation. This country is, is not... A race. This country is not a homeland. It's not blood and soil or any, any of these other alt-right fantasies. This is a country that we have sweated and struggled and and worked to become a a, a, a nation where people from any country, any race, mm-hmm. can become an American by by coming in and buying into this system and and believing in this system. That anybody can become an American. We are wildly imperfect every day. We fuck up constantly, but there's no substitute in the world for what this country can offer people. And and any any political philosophy that believes that closing the door and closing the gate and selecting only one group and deciding that some countries are shitholes, but Norway's okay, it dishonors the the founders, dishonors the service of generations of people who have fought and died for this country dishonors the, the the people that have fought on the 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 literal battlefields and political battlefields and the civil rights battlefield and 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 who believe that this country is propositional and believe that this country is something bigger and better than just a, a collection of rages and a collection of grievances but and it's not just trump though there are many people who line up with this, I believe is a new belief. I I don't. This is another thing. I don't remember Republicans squeezing the idea of the American promise. You know that withholding it for a few. I mean, no. It, it, do you know what I mean? Like I, that, I, I that's know. another thing that seems odd. You can argue over policy differences over the year, but that idea 
that that's what makes, once again, the American exceptionalism idea, that the idea is you can take someone from the lowest rung mm-hmm. and they can rise, as opposed to, no, we just want people from the highest rung already. You know, we, we want to curate our the yes. people who are already up there. In, in other words, what it does, here's what's interesting, right? It makes America insignificant in this person's path in their life. It really does, mm-hmm. because they're already there. You know, America was always the means by which someone's raised their status. It erased the thing called a caste system. Right. It erased class difference. It, it, but and Republicans want to get away? It's, they want, and it's so— It makes no sense. This is where my head explodes. It's so fundamentally <laughs> in opposition— to every conservative principle yes, I was raised is, by. Yes, this is what I'm saying. This is what this, I don't understand. Because when you're picking yeah. corporate winners and losers, it's dumb policy. When you're picking societal right. winners and losers, and you're saying that the Trump cast mm-hmm. um, is is they, they are the they are the favored ones. You know, we this country fought in, a, in the Revolutionary War to get away from a system of royalty and titles and nobility. Right. We fought to to. to and, and Entrenched this, class, and this, and this entire right, yes. this entire question of social class in this country has always been very fraught. And yes, you know what? It's not. And all there's done. always been traps around it. Sure. We all we all know that there, it's never been perfect. Some people, I mean, as a black person, I know how we've been kept away yeah. in the laws, redlining, and that kind right. of stuff. You know, thanks, Fred Trump. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was very uh, good. <laughs> but you know, again, we we always try in this country to have a belief in in a system that allows people to rise no matter where they're from or who they are no matter what country or religion anything else and and people have done it for generations and that's why as as rough as rough as things can be in this country people keep knocking on the door they keep coming here they keep trying to become a part of this dream and a part of the system and is I, I flippantly answered one time on Twitter, like, why should we allow all these people from third world shithole, blah, blah, blah. Like, because we're awesome. Because as 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 screwed up as we were in the beginning and as hard as it's been to, to reconcile our, our flaws, there is no substitute for this country in the world. It's also, it's always been the case. The Irish came over during the potato famine. Right. Listen, <laughs> when, when, when my German ancestors <laughs> yes. came to this country, they were— the unacceptable, filthy, dirty Eastern yeah. European scum. And when the Irish came. And, and, and so you know, I grew up in Southern California right. when I was a kid, you know, after the Vietnam War, we had a lot of Vietnamese sure. refugees. And I was happy to see them. I was like, thank God they're right. because they didn't have a chance where right. they in, you know, especially in that time. Sure. You know? And and you know, and people who come here and and become Americans are I mean, the 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 gift of this country is that people become American, and and I think Trumpism and this nationalist populism it leads down two big paths. It picks the it picks the social winners and losers, mm-hmm. and they pick them based. And we just have to be honest about it. They pick them based on the fact that guys like Donald Trump and the guys around him, like Stephen Miller and Steve Bannon and mm-hmm. Sub Gorka, and all these all these guys. It's absolutely racially inflected. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know I know we're not supposed to say, "Oh, Donald Trump's surrounded by a bunch of goddamn racists," but the fact I'll of the matter is, he's surrounded by a bunch of goddamn that. racists. <laughs> I mean, uh, these guys aren't just you know Peppy the Frog meme guys. Mm-hmm. These are guys in charge of national policy on matters like immigration and justice, and and it is. I, I think we're in a moment of enormous danger in the country that that gets normalized along with Donald Trump with a lot of people. 
Mm-hmm. And it's one of the reasons that I wrote the book. It's one of the reasons I've stood up on this thing. Right. One of the reasons I, 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 I've stayed in this fight for a long time. And you end your book talking about post-Trump America, whether Trump leaves in 2020 or 2024. Right. What do you imagine, Rick, as a post-Trump America? Because we're always in a different place after these things sure. than before. You know? Look, I, Do you have a dystopian view of this? I, have I have a, a Mad Max view of it that could okay. that could happen. I mean, we could end up with Donald <laughs> Zach is like with, no with Donald Trump Jr. <laughs> oh God, as the 2024 nominee. Oh, I see. I can good. absolutely Stop see it. a scenario. Up in my mouth. I can absolutely see a scenario where mm-hmm. he is the is the nominee in 2024. Jesus absolutely Christ. see that scenario, and and I got to tell you. Right now, is you know, if I know, twenty twenty four seems like a long way away, but this is a guy who could absolutely do it, and and take the Republican nomination. And you know what? Echoes of echoes, and like a Xerox copy of a Xerox copy, it gets shittier and shittier. I mean, Uday running for president is a bad outcome. (laughs) For a whole variety of reasons, especially for Kuse, right? (laughs) Oh, poor, poor Eric. It's like mm-hmm. being the dumbest Trump is a really hard knock because you don't start off. <laughs> yeah, that's only by degree, too. <laughs> right, you know? exactly. It's a very relative statement. Yeah. But I, I think there's a scenario where the Republican Party becomes entirely defined by nationalist populism and racism, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that does everything but put the white hat on, the mm-hmm. white hood on. Because these, there are some people that would be perfectly happy to get into that, that space that are very prominent voices. Mm-hmm. Don't let Steve Bannon ever fool you. When you go, oh, I couldn't be racist. I worked with the Jews when I was in Hollywood. Whatever. That guy right. is the most dangerous, inflammatory, racial arsonist we've seen in American politics mm-hmm. in, in, since, in decades. I mean, since Woodrow Wilson was praising birth of a nation. This, Steve Bannon is a, he is a societal cancer that I hope... Um, that we find some sort of chemo for because he is, he's driving a lot of this, uh, this very overtly racist political strategy. Woodrow Wilson commented on birth of a nation said it was history written with lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, well, your book certainly has some lightning and thunder in it. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> Everything Trump touches dies. A Republican strategist gets real about the worst president ever. Rick Wilson does not hold back. You can hear how passionate he is, you guys. Um, this is a, I'm sure you and many other people uh, from George Will to, um, I mean, even Bill Crystal, for Christ's sakes, you know. You know, it's, there's a lot of people out there who look, are, I, I'm I feel in very, around this I'm island. Brett Stevens at the, at yeah. the Times. Uh, Came out Steve about Schmidt, talking Brett about Stevens. yeah, Steve Schmidt, but Brett Stevens. I mean, to talk about impeachment in the New York Times, right? I was, you know, uh, and I, you know, I think the world of Brett's writing. I think he's a, a, a tremendous writer. Yeah. And I read those words, and I was like, wait a second. I went back and I was like, yeah, that is Brett. Okay, right. Um, and I've told people for a long time, impeachment is a very high hill to climb. It's yeah. very difficult, and I think it's. I don't the, put my hopes in that. I, I would. I, I I want people to, yeah, whatever. I I just don't see that happening. No. But, I mean, I, you're, there's a better chance of Trump like stroking out on the toilet eating a fillet of fish. <laughs> but now he's what is he Elvis all of a sudden? Oh my god, Orange Elvis! The, this is amazing. You need to go on the road with somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, Louise. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. You know, um, I wish you a lot of luck and uh, thank you. Get thank this you book, so you guys. It's not only very, of course, it's very entertaining if you disagree with Trump but if you're in this space where Rick is and a lot of these people I think you'll uh, find this very cathartic 
thing. Thanks, Rick. So much. Appreciate it. All right.